Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So it's another sunny day at the end of July, and I've just came back from Brighton Beach, where I was checking out some new concepts and new things that have opened, which is such an interesting thing to have happened, considering all that's been going on. So two things, there's been rock water at Hove, which is a new cafe concept and really bringing hospitality out onto the beach as well with little shack huts doing all sorts of different weird and wonderful foods and drinks and cocktails and coffee and really bringing alive that residential stretch of Hove Beach. And also was down at Shelter Hall Raw, which is going to become the new Mbiba concept or backed concept down at Shelter Hall, which is going to be called Sessions, down at one of the main strips on Brighton Beach. Really great space. Lots of great ideas going on about being a little bit more luxurious on the mezzanine upstairs and downstairs. Lots of great street food going on, like Lost Boys Chicken, Fatto Pizza, Carlito Burrito, uh, Charcuterie, Oysters, Bars, all this kind of stuff as well. So great to see entrepreneurialism is not dead. And while I was walking around Brighton and Hove on the seafront, I walked past Grosvenor Casino and I gave it a little wink and a tip of the hat because my next guest actually runs that gaff and runs that place, which is Jonathan Swain, who is the MD of Rank Group Retail and he's the XMD at Fuller's Inns and Hotels and also just a very, very good friend. Great Stone Roses fan and also been to a few gigs together and had many a pint. So great to chat to a mate. Uh, really makes things go quicker on the podcast. So we talk about his career as a former marketer, which I didn't know actually. So all that time I was spouting marketing to him, he was probably sitting thinking, right, son. Um, so that's interesting. That's good to know. And what it took then to become a great leader which is my words, not his, but he is. So he needs to take that praise on board because he's a wonderful, wonderful leader of people and teams and companies. And also really looking into the brave new world that he's entered of bingo, casinos and online gaming. So lots to talk about. We cover loads. There's also a little Stone Roses quiz at the end uh, for anyone that's a bit geeky, but he really was keen to do some of that and test his knowledge. So we had a great chat. I hope you really enjoy it. I get so much value from it, so much joy talking to Jonathan, and I'll see you at the end of the episode. So it gives me the most eyes down for a full house pleasure <laughs> ever to introduce my next guest, who's a friend, an ex-client, and an indie music aficionado, and that is Jonathan Swain, who is the Managing Director of Retail for Rank Group. Hello. Good morning, Mark. You all right? Well, I'm slightly nervous having been called an indie music aficionado, so I think you're going you're gonna to test this later on, potentially. But yeah, I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not bad, but I was saying, yeah, I didn't, have, I didn't have too many drinks last night, and 
actually feel worse than, than having a few. So um, I think there's a lesson lesson learned there, which is, uh, yeah, just get stuck in. <laughs> um, and then I managed to get to my first pub um, on Tuesday night. So that was quite a nice feeling. I had my first pub visit on Sunday, yes. I went out to a local Fuller's pub in Isleworth, where I live, and had a, a pint of London Pride. Yeah, but, that was a special moment. Well, I was wondering what percentage of first pints would be just that thing you can't really replicate at home. You know, like a Guinness or a London Pride from a Fuller's pub or, you know, whatever. There's, there's nothing finer. It's really hard to replicate, you know, hand-drawn cascale. It is. Uh, it's, uh, it's a miracle in a glass, I sometimes say. So, um, yeah, go, going through this, this last 15 weeks, sitting in our bedrooms, looking at teams, watching our eyes uh, acquire darker and darker shadows underneath them, <laughs> dreaming about beer. Yeah, uh, yeah so um, I, I was dreaming about London Pride and uh, a pint from a handful yeah. that theatre and ceremony in front of you. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, just, just on that point then, so, you know, we could do a, a hop, skip and a jump, you know, to get into Fuller's um, and then we, we can chat about that and then obviously what you're up to sort of now and, and your views and stuff. But going back then, you know, what happened in terms of the journey along to to being the, you know, one of the MDs at Fuller's? Um, I sort of stumbled, stumbled into it in a way when I look back. I, uh, I grew up as a child of the 70s, in, born in Perivale, West London, um, where you're either a QPR fan or a Brentford fan. I was both, but uh, settled on Brentford. Um, and yeah, I had an ordinary life, really. Mum a cleaner, dad a, mu- a musician, amongst other things. And uh, I went to school locally in Greenford, went to university, had bar jobs uh, since I was a collecting glasses as a, as a kid and stuff. Um, so that was always with me, that experience of, of working in bars and looking after customers. Um, but yeah, I, after university, I, I, it was the uh, it was 92 that I graduated in. And uh, not long after John Major's election victory, which as a idealistic uh, 20-year-old, I was bemused by um, why Labour didn't uh, win that election. Mm. And of course, we were in a bit of a recession there. So for a year, I... I didn't really do do much. I had a, a series of jobs working in pubs and hospital laundry was one job. I had a, I drove a forklift uh, for a couple of months as well, worked in removals, and then eventually joined um, a, uh, a company called Carlton Communications as a trainee there, which is a Thank media you. business, and it used to run the five-day-a-week five, five ITV franchise. Yeah, Carlton, yeah. Uh, uh, so that was, uh, that was sort of 93, 94. And then after that, well, so no, I did. I had three, three to four years there. Actually, four years. Did a variety of different jobs um, in that business. Looked at uh, aspects of program research and marketing and sales and the business side of the of the broadcaster, and did quite well. But I absolutely hated it, um, and uh, <laughs> I, it was never really me. And I was sort of yearning for something else. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely, it was a lovely experience working there. I mean, it's one, it was 101 St. Martin's Lane in the middle of where Soho meets Covent Garden. So a fantastic location. Yeah. But um, I, I, I liked that aspect of it. But the, you know, the business side of it wasn't really me. So I found myself hankering for, for a, different, uh, a different style of work, really, something that motivated me more than this did. 
and I tried to leave a couple of times and I was sort of tempted back. I did a master's degree while I was there in marketing and it was that really which uh, really opened my, my eyes up to uh, really the world of brands and um, how, uh, how certain businesses actually make things, real things and do great things for, for customers and uh, that's what got me thinking. And then did you not fancy you know, ultimately, you know, big career in marketing and all that, or was there something else that interested you? Well, so, um, so what, yeah, what happened was I, um, I did the marketing degree, which I, which I loved and some great, great guys on the course. I think it's Michael Heron, who's a uh, director of Unilever at the time was a sort of patron for the course and that inspired me. And, uh, so I, I sort of spread my net a bit and, um, I eventually got uh, on a, a marketing job at a company called Bass Charrington, part of Bass PLC, mm-hmm. and uh, started at Bass, you know, sort of 1995 as a as a sort of trade marketing manager for that division of uh, the on-trade business at Bass, which at the time was, you know, a hugely successful uh, PLC with obviously FTSE 100, with many interests spanning hotels and pubs and of course brewing. So. Yeah, I found myself at Bass having done an interview uh, underneath uh, Piccadilly Circus in the Hedges and Butler Cellars, sort of assessment centre, which was which was great. Meeting a lot of the, the Bass senior team there, and found myself working out of a business park in Watford um, on half the salary that I was on. Um, left Carlton, told my girlfriend at the time this is what I was doing. Yeah. Um, uh, with proud owner of a Vauxhall Cavalier SRS. And uh, <laughs> and became uh, with a with a car phone installed in the central console, and uh, became a you know, proud employee, a proud employee of Bass. Yeah. And what about marketing? There, you know, what did you find when you went in there? And you know, because I guess there's there's a couple of forms of marketing. You know, you either go down the the madmen route, um, or <laughs> you know, you, you actually you know sell stuff. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and and you know, you're you're a bit more commercial. So, you know, what 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 did you find in there, and what was the sort uh, of the strategy for it all? Well, my my particular role was a local marketing role, so it was it was really taking the brand strategy that um, brand teams had, had worked up in Burton for brands like Carling or Grolsch or whatever, and then executing that with the with the sales and operations teams out out in the business in the on trade. So it was, uh, it was it was that sort of role really. So it was making the brand strategy happen on the ground, um, and it was a, it was a good, it was a really interesting time. There was a time when um, when Carling had, had, was beginning to move from football into music, and London was a key part of that strategy. Likewise, Grolsch was growing its distribution in the southeast, and there was a real appetite to to grow um, the market share for Bass brands in the southeast, which were historically quite small in terms of share. So it's quite an exciting time to join the business. I mean, the music strategy was a really exciting one. You know, I sort of saw it from a slightly different angle because like, one of my first jobs was at NME um, and there was lots of carlings sort of action going on and also there was, um, you know, a lot of kind of homecoming gigs. So it was yeah. really exciting to see your favourite band in their tiny place at their home. Yeah, you know? yeah that's right. There was uh, there's stuff happening all over the tube. Carling had sponsored buskers at various locations in the tube as well, um, and then had uh, entered into, into agreements with local venues, you know, up and down the country. And homecoming was a- absolutely one of those um, activation devices. So uh, I remember going to the Broadway Boulevard in Ealing uh, as part of that um, 
that plan to, to go and see Jamiroquai, uh, who wow. was an Ealing, Ealing boy, who I remember um, used to um, smoke um, interesting smelling uh, roll-ups at Ealing Broadway Station as a kid. I used to see him knocking around there with his uh, David Crockett hat on. But yeah, so I went to watch Jamiroquai up close uh, to the Broadway Boulevard, which was sensational. Jeez, that was unbelievable. Um, unbelievable, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm Andrew, the lead designer on Toggle, a platform for managing your whole gift card side of the business. Built from the ground up, Toggle is born from listening to the people who need it. It's really simple to use, but able to handle all of the things that we know are important. Integrated with the tills, mega robust reporting, smart promotions, limiting dates of redemptions and selling experiences, a bit of a marketer's dream, as well as handling fulfillment and basic gift cards with style. Find out more and create an account at usetoggle.com. And then you sort of needing to move on from there, or was was it a bit of a glass ceiling, or what happened there? So, so I was uh, I, I was there for nine years, did about eight or nine different roles. Absolutely loved it. I worked in the off trade, worked in in the on trade, came back to the on trade, having been up in in Wetmore Road for a while, in Burton on Trent, came back to the on trade to uh, to work alongside people like Nick Miller, and uh, part of my um, list of customers was Fuller's. Um, I looked after regional brewers in the, in the southeast. And uh, getting to know my customers, I decided to write a handwritten letter to Simon Emony to say, look, you know, um, I'll, I'll work in a few of your pubs uh, for free if, you can, <laughs> if I can get a half a day of your time uh, to, to tell you what I think we can do for your business from a, from a brand owning point of view. So I wrote him a letter. And... Uh, and uh, then I got a letter back. <laughs> so that's how uh, that's how I got introduced to Fuller's and Simon. And he said, "Go for it." Or well, he said, "Come and see me." Oh. So uh, so uh, I met him in his office, and then got another email back saying, "Well, how about uh, we meet somewhere else and have another chat?" So actually, we met in Sutton, uh, and uh, ended up meeting at uh, the All Bar One in Sutton. Uh, having having looked at the Cock and Bull, the Fuller's Pub, um, uh, just down the road, just before meeting him, and there we had we had this uh, slightly clandestine meeting uh, at uh, All Bar One in Sutton, and that's when uh, that's when my the start of my Fuller's career. And what did you go in as? Were you straight in as MD? So I went in as, as operations director. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, well, no, actually, I went in as what was called at the time general manager. Right. So. Um, so I looked after a division of, of what was called quality managed pubs, and that was about 60% of um, the, the, the pub portfolio, uh, managed pub portfolio. So I'd, I, I wasn't an operator by birth. I'd, I'd come from Bass, which obviously was a, in terms of my role there was really about um, the marketing and selling of beer brands. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I crossed the Rubicon, as it were, and became uh, general manager for... Um, about, about 60 pubs at the time and about three months later uh, 100 pubs as, uh, as the business acquired the Gales Brewery for which I was uh, honoured to lead part of the integration there um, from January of 2006 but I joined Fuller's on September the 1st 2005 uh, as an operator yeah Scary though because I guess you're going in with not a lot of frames of reference right you're having to learn everything <laughs> Well, yeah, it's scary and exciting. Yeah, um, uh, it's it's it certainly was a learning curve, but very exciting. And um, 
you know, I think if 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 you if you're blessed with a bit of intuition and you and you listen well and you've got good people skills, um, then I think you know you you start start from a good base and uh, got a very good base up full of a stable business, um, great values, great values that I aligned with, and uh, many of the pubs that I. I was uh, looking after with my team were pubs that I'd grown up knowing as a, as a child. So at an emotional level, you know, walking past those pubs as I did on my way to school and then working with the business to improve those pubs at an emotional level, that was very powerful to me and um, connected me almost immediately to the business. But, you know, it was, it was a learning curve, absolutely, but a very exciting one. And then in your time there, obviously, you know, you achieved puns and, you know, I had a a little view in as an outsider, really. Um, but, you know, you could see everything that was going on. But, you know, what were the sort of proudest achievements, do you think, you know, across across that time? A lot of stuff, you know, the, the forefront of food coming in, there was, digital, the, you know, the birth of digital becoming a lot more mainstream. You know, you, you were there at an exciting time. Yeah, I was, I, I was lucky and fortunate to be there at an exciting time and um, also fortunate to have the, the, the backing of colleagues, and the board to be able to invest in the things that we thought were right, but yeah, certainly the the food story was was very exciting. Um, you know, smoking ban ushered in a whole period of change for the sector, and, and Fuller's was able to to take more than its fair share there. Um, I think you know, du- doubling its sales in um, a handful of years from memory. But yeah, we we created a food team. Uh, we you know, brought some change agents, some talent like Paul Dickinson into the business. And then we created some lovely alchemy between food and beer, and, and tried to tell that that fuller story through through the menus, um, investing in kitchens, investing in colleagues, and training and development, all that good stuff. And uh, so the, the the food story was one I'm particularly proud of of having been part of. Obviously, f- fresh food as well from the outset. So not doing it necessarily the easiest way, but we felt the right way uh, to drive a better experience for customers, a more premium and memorable experience. Secondly, I think you know the, the, all the work we did with around people, which was very exciting too. I was very proud of that. Um, but, you know, really thinking about how we can how we can win for service, really, by starting with uh, a position that says we've got to engage our colleagues to do that. You can't engage team members um, and expect to deliver consistently great service. And uh, that um, that sort of eureka moment was was very powerful for me. Because it also connect, connected a sort of feeling that I had at an emotional level, which was really that uh, our colleagues go out there, our team members go out there every day to try and do a good job, to look after people, you know, to, to make them feel happy and looked after. And uh, that's a pretty noble thing to do. So uh, con- that connected and resonated with me at an emotional level, as well as clearly a business level. That, you know, If we can drive uh, good light for light sales through great service, that's going to be... Um, a great return for our shareholders but at an emotional level you know getting our colleagues really excited and connected to the mission uh which we called every customer least happy as you know mark um, was uh, was very very powerful so yeah food and food and service were two things i look back on with particular pride is there anything that you think oh i wish we'd done more with that or you know because you had quite a lot of budding projects that you know over the next few years I think will pay back really well I think that we could have done perhaps a little bit more around some of the digital innovation in the business but that was that was happening and continuing to happen as I was as I was moving off but 
certainly I look back and I think um, you know, we do a great job with websites, did a great job with social media. Um, I think you know, particularly now as, as we're, we're living and working through the, 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 the post-COVID times, things like um, apps and single customer view and a good CRM operation are very, very critical. So um, I think um, we could have made a bit more progress there. But look, I mean, these, these are things that uh, there's always things you could do more of, aren't there? But I think we're particularly the team did a particularly good job on, on on the websites, which I think were very very good, and you know, online booking, all that good stuff was was cool. integrated really well. And it's really difficult, I guess, because there's always a relevancy issue with a heritage business, you know. But I think you played it so well, and you know, what what were the sort of things you were you were introducing to try and you know, keep it relevant and keep it up with the, the newer customers because there was there was quite a lot there and it, it's a fine balance to not look like dad at the disco. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a fine balance. You're right. Um, staying relevant. I mean, I think you're, you're right about heritage. It can, it, it can as much be an asset as it can be a bit of an anchor on you. Um, and what we tried to do was um, really tell our story, which began in 1845, and tell it in a in a new and relevant way, and uh, you know the story of three three partners getting together to form this business um, uh, out of really nothing uh, into the into the business that it is today is I think has um, continued resonance and, and power, particularly at a time when uh, consumers customers are looking for authenticity. So how you tell that story, I think, is quite important. And you, you clearly don't want to look, as you, as you quite rightly said, like like me me dancing in a disco, um, or some sort of faux representation of of a sort of um, uh, wonderful past that's sort, sort, sort of slightly uh, Tweety Woo or Disney esque. What, what we wanted to do was uh, try and tell our story anew through through things like the menus, for for instance, uh, the food menus. So um, you know the lovely alchemy of food and beer. Uh, which the, our food team created helped tell our our brewing heritage story, but convey it in our pubs in a really nice, engaging, and, and delicious way. So you know the the food team getting together uh, with the marketing teams to uh, produce things like the London Porter Smoked Salmon with a wonderful guy called Richard Cook uh, down at Seven and Y Smokery to produce this uh, unique uh, piece of wonderful marbled. Uh, smoked salmon, marinated in London porter beer, and a few other secret ingredients, including a bit of treacle for 48 hours to produce this brilliant dish, um, which became the number one starter in the business, uh, which, which the business trademarked and made it its own IP. Uh, served up at, for instance, London's Pride at Terminal 2's uh, air, uh, airport pub, telling you know guests around the world really about the Fuller's story, but, mm. but in every single Fuller's pub, you would see this starter and it would tell a little bit about the story without leaving leaflets in, in, you know, in the lobby or, uh, or old black and white pictures of the brewery on the wall. It was just a lovely way of telling that story anew and, um, and giving something unique to customers. And then with all the hard work that you had, you know, completed, then you got a bit of a, a courtship and a, you know, attraction from a buyer. So, um, you know, so the, the, the Fuller's beer estate then got, got taken and then the, the pub estate's on its own, um, you know, doing that. So what were you seeing with the, the sort of changes there as, as that was all happening? 
Yeah, so that that was a a, a very a very um, challenging time, and uh, because essentially the beer company was uh, had been the sort of beating heart of the business. It was it was there around you, as you know, Mark. As you as you walk around uh, the the Griffin Brewery in Chiswick, where the fullest. Uh, retail offices were yeah. it was it was inextricably linked and you could smell it you could smell it at various times of the day and uh, it, so it was very powerful um, sort of central core to everyone really um, but there but the reality was uh, that you, we were seeing when I joined the business I think there were probably this is 2005 there probably a dozen or so breweries of any note in in the UK and uh, as I left the business, there were 2,000 breweries. And, um, you know, so this uh, tremendous explosion in beer which was absolutely superb for, for people like you and I and for beer drinkers. So this wonderful panoply of different, different brands and experiences and tastes, which was, which was squeezing Fuller's from, uh, from one end. So that all the entrepreneurial energy around these new beer brands was attracting interest uh, and indeed was supplying... Um, uh, operators, pub operators, with more choice, of which I, I was one. But if you're in the Fuller's Beer Company, you are you are seeing you know, these increased levels of competition from very small uh, or small agile um, uh, players who are quick quick to market and are finding immediate uh, immediate oxygen for their brands on social media. So good ROI in terms of marketing and interest from pub operators who wanted variety um, on their bars and then uh, you know at, at the upper end in terms of the scale players they were acquiring new clothes you know we'd seen brands like or businesses uh, acquired like Camden and Heineken acquiring Beavertown for instance so you the, the big scale players were acquiring new brands and becoming becoming and cementing their position so Fuller's was really in the in the middle between these two these two forces, which were shaping the beer industry at a you know at an exponential rate, and whilst the, the brands were fantastic and strong, and the advocacy behind them was was ever 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 good and strong, it, it became very difficult for the, the the brewery to continue to grow. And uh, if you extrapolated out the trends that the the team were seeing at the time, uh, the 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 point at which the, the the business was sold was the right one, and uh, as 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 emotional and as difficult as that was for everyone, the uh, the economic reality was 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 staring you in the face, and uh, and of course then the the the, uh, the the imperative for the business was to decide how best to do that and uh, who would be the best owner for custodian really for the, the brands that had been nurtured and loved by the fullest team yeah. and that's where Asahi came in and um, you know everyone knows uh, everyone knows the story but it, it, it was Asahi were everything that they said they were and they behave they behaved in exemplary fashion did what they said they were going to do and um, paid a full value for these very valuable assets that we um, we sold them and uh, I think looking back, it was the best possible outcome. I think, although that 
you know, everyone will inevitably not everyone will think that's that's the case. But I, you know, I I, I walked around the brewery the other day actually with my dog uh, on a uh, on a COVID walk, and um, I saw a few of the faces there um, that had worked at the brewery when I was there, and um, they're still there and feeling good and happy and um, engaged. Uh, and that's as, that's as good as measure for me as any. That when you yeah. see people you'd work with, uh, you know, just ordinary guys and girls are uh, feeling uh, good about life, and that's 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 a good measure. And of course, the, the the beer that I had on Sunday night tasted as good as it as it always. done, maybe even dare I say it, perhaps a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, the the brewing credentials of Asahi are, are, are well known. And they are they are very very passionate about beer, about quality, um, about about the right ingredients, about the right investment to create that um, that high quality uh, beer. And uh, I certainly know they've invested in the brewery since since we sold sold since we since Fuller sold the brewery. Um, and uh, they they hold those values very true and dear. So I think uh, you know looking back, it was the best possible outcome. Uh, on all fronts but but you know we have to recognize it was uh it had an emotional element to it as well it was a i, I just could never make up my mind if it was a good place or not a good place because it's just like i mean it was crazy multiple of you but and all the rest of it but they're so treasured so actually when you look at it, you're going you probably got a real bargain although it seemed like a lot of money you know you you, you actually you, you bought the crown jewels of of you know the south for sure at least um, so no, it was it was interesting, and that day was so interesting because I was reading it in the news, and I was in Holborn in Soho Coffee, going to a meeting with Bills, and I looked up, and you were standing in front of me. You you were going down to a meeting or something. I was, and and, and I was kind of reading this about first thing, wait me, and I looked up, and you're like, hi there. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a coincidence. Uh, I remember, and um, thank you for reminding me because that that had been a sleepless night. We'd been up all night, yeah. uh, with a, a few of us in in offices in the city. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I probably looked awful, uh, and we'd had no sleep. And um, I went straight after seeing you to to meet uh, members of my team at Three Guineas in Reading downstairs. A wonderful, wonderful is in Bar Kingdom Brunel Building, now Station Pub. Uh, in Reading oh, yeah. that we invested in and uh, created a brilliant downstairs space there where members of my team all congregated as we um, as we uh, took in the news and I delivered the you know the news to them so that's yeah that was a very very memorable day but apologies for looking so <laughs> ragged Still I saw you that day <laughs> I think I had about three coffees at Paddington Station and uh, then got off to Reading. That's correct. And, uh, and shout out to Bonkers. Is Bonkers Bella? Is that the, the dog said dog on walk through Fuller's Brewery is my Vine Marana, who I am um, desperately fond of. And she is called Bella and she has her own Twitter account. Yes. At yeah. Bonkers Bella Dog. Um, that's right, with a, I think all of about 30 followers. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I, um, She's been my running companion uh, through the last nine years, and, uh, and she's wonderful, yeah. Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. 
Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Kate, our senior marketing manager, who shares her insight into how to utilize your top Facebook fans. Your top fans are a selection of users chosen by Facebook's algorithm who most frequently engage with your content. You may have come across them already as they display a badge next to their name in your post comments, but you can also target them specifically when you post content. When you create a post in Facebook, select the targeting drop-down list and change the audience from public to top fans. Now when you publish, only your top fans will see the post on their page. This is a great way to reward your most loyal social media followers with an exclusive discount or perk, which in turn empowers them to be even better brand ambassadors and feeling like they're really valued customers. You can also create a custom audience in Facebook to retarget top fans with adverts. As your most avid followers, they're more likely to be purchasers, and we like to use product ads to also push them to convert. To create your own audience, simply go to Audiences and Ad Manager and build a custom audience of top fans by selecting your page as the source. If you need help with your own digital marketing strategy, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers and enjoy the rest of the episode. So then, you know, you, you sort of moved out of Fuller's and did you have a wee break before taking the new job? Well, that was the plan. Yeah, I, um, I, I left on the day of the AGM. So that would have been about July. Uh, and uh, the plan was really to, um, a number of, I asked a number of folk around, around the sector uh, for their advice. And uh, some said, look, you know, take a couple of weeks off and, you know, jump straight back on the horse. Others said, uh, oh, no, 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 you kind of, you kind of need to know what you want. And to know what you want, you need to know who you are. And to know who you are, you need to completely detach yourself from this stuff and go go somewhere. So um, so I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do either thing, really. I had about three months off. And um, whilst, whilst, the, uh, whilst the prospect of sort of doing um, the way of Santiago de Compostela, some sort of you know, three-month odyssey, walk along the North Spanish coast, would have been amazing. And I would have loved that. And I would have no doubt found parts of myself I didn't know I had. I, um, and I, well, I should do that one day. And that's, that's definitely on the bucket list. Uh, I, uh, I didn't. I decided to uh, sort of get back into the interview uh, kind of um, regimen and uh, saw a few folk. And on October the 1st, I um, found myself a few miles down the M4 from Chiswick in a place called Maidenhead and uh, the head office is of rank. So I did have some time out to do a couple of holidays, did a, a, a great family trip to Greece, island hopping, and spent some time in Spain, which is my sort of second spiritual home, I feel. But uh, I was back on, back on the horse on October the 1st last year. And then, you know, new industry, new job, new tasks ahead, completely different portfolio of businesses, big online element. So how did, how did you tackle that one? Well, I... Um, I sort of set myself. I wrote a list to myself in during the course of the summer about the things that I would want to do, and uh, I, I certainly felt that having having worked at Fuller's, lucky enough to work at Fuller's for fourteen years, I um, I sort of walked out onto a pitch which was which was beautifully tended 
it had uh, all the kind of fans in the uh, in the stadium cheering you on. It had a group of shareholders eating. We weren't eating prawn sandwiches to use a football analogy, but we had a group of shareholders that were behind the business and invested in the team. We were playing great football and a really nice style of football at that. You know, we wanted to do it in a way which we would enjoy watching if we were spectators. Uh, we wanted to do it well and with a sense of panache and quality. So having, having played at that club, as it were, I thought to myself, well, it would have to be a quite unique opportunity within pubs for me to consider a move to an, a, 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 you know, a pub business. Mm. So I, I, I then decided that I wanted to try and learn a few new things. That was on my list, learn something new values of the business were important to me so that went down on my list as well what sort of values would I uh, consider really important what would be my red lines therefore uh, and I wanted to learn something new I wanted to um, to acquire another string to my bow and test myself in a new environment so whether that would be restaurants or hotels they, they kind of broad, broadly adjacent to what I was doing but when the opportunity at, at rank came up, it, it was, you're right, Mark, very, very different. And uh, the longer that I thought about it, the more people that I met, that opportunity to learn something new excited me. So that's why I made the choice. And um, here we have a business that is highly, an industry that's highly regulated. So if we think that the world of pubs and bars has a level of regulation, you know, the, 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 in, the level of uh, inspection, regulation, oversight from uh, the regulator here, the Gambling Commission, is on another level. And, uh, you know, here we have an, uh, uh, a regulator with legally infinite powers. So that absolutely focuses minds. And going to that point about values, I was absolutely committed in, in the, the thinking that I did during the summer, committed to... Uh, to, to, to recognize that the, uh, the business had safer gambling at its, at its heart. They really wanted to, to do something about it and to invest heavily in it and uh, to make that one of the, the key values of the business, which it is. So that was important to me. But um, certainly that level of regulation is very, very different coming out of the public sector and into, into gambling. Uh, but also the opportunity to, to continue the work on the customer experience here in both both venues brands that we have which is Grosvenor Casinos and, and Mecca Bingo that that work continues and that's exciting that's what I know well and I love and so that's an opportunity and then and then thirdly to work in a multi-channel environment I hadn't really had too much exposure exposure to that at Fuller's here we have a digital business an interactive business and we have the venues business and there is there are experiences for customers that we can create and value therefore that we can create for them and for, for the business that exists in that multi-channel opportunity. And that is exciting. Uh, and then fourthly, the business is, was midway through a transformation when I joined and uh, the, the, the opportunity to work in that sort of fast pace, fast moving environment excited me too. So those are the four things that I looked at uh, when I uh, considered joining Rank in the summer. And then, you know, just thinking about what's going to mean success for you there, you know, uh, what are the things you're tasked with and how are you addressing those? Well, f first of all, front and centre, number one on my list is safer gambling. So yeah. um, 
I'm fortunate to, to play an important role in, in that work stream for the business. So that is, that is front and centre. And it is, it, is in, it is doing all that we can to invest in our people, first of all, so that we, we, uh, we absolutely engage and inspire them about why this is so important, what's in it for our customers, and what it's, what's in it for them as team members. But also alongside that, investing in technology and um, processes to enable them to make the right decisions uh, and, and, and protect as far as possible our customers from any, any risk of gambling harm. So that's that's my number one priority. Uh, and you know, going going into COVID, we uh, we certainly had some very exciting plans around investing in our venues to uh, to improve the customer experience, to attract a broader audience beyond the core bingo player and the core uh, gamer or gambler in our casinos and um, you know uh, building out that leisure experience around investment in food and drink and investments in softer forms of gaming uh, competitive socializing these were the things that we were plugging into our plan for this year and in fact if you were to go to where you live mark down in Brighton uh, the p9 uh, casino that we opened just before lockdown you opened it a few weeks before March the 20th you'll have seen a number of the things that we were, were trying to bring to bear for the growth of the business uh, in terms of broadening that leisure experience happening at, at Pier 9 right on the seafront there so the second aspect we need to alongside safer gambling was broadening our, our the leisure experience and attracting a wider group of customers beyond just the core gaming and bingo experience that we offer and have you brought across anything like you know your incredibly strong um, you know only at fillers or every customer leaves happy have you have you brought any of those things across so yeah we um, we're working on a an employee engagement program and again alongside you know a, a customer experience program uh, which was every customer is happy at first here it's gonna be we call it connect entertain care and those are the, the three things that we are going to engage our colleagues on our, our casinos are sadly shut at the moment um, but we're very hopeful that having had a, a visit from uh, DCMS uh, to one of our casinos yesterday uh, this is uh, this is July the uh, 9th as we record this but as we uh, as we come out of that visit from government yesterday, we're very hopeful that we can get that open, um, get our casinos open, 51 of them open as soon as possible. Uh, but we, we have a, a, a customer experience program, an employee engagement program ready to go uh, that won't, won't be dissimilar to the sorts of values uh, and the ways in which we went about engaging our 4,400 colleagues at Fuller's um, when we get open. So yeah, that's definitely one of the things. And we've hired um, a new change agent for our food and drink business, a guy called Tom Beechamp, who's, um, who's come from Sodexo. And he is going to, uh, uh, I am sure, uh, revitalize our food and drink in the, in the way that colleagues like Paul Dickinson and others uh, did at Fuller's. So the first step there we've taken on, um, on our food journey is hiring Tom. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth.
BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. And then what are you thinking about in terms of the next year ahead? You know, what what do you think it means for rank? And then what are you thinking in terms of the, or what are your hopes for, you know, the wider industry? I mean, first first of all, for rank, we've, uh, we've opened, uh, as of today, opened 35 of our 77 bingo clubs, uh, our Mecca bingo clubs, and they have opened well. Uh, and uh, uh, the first weekend, okay, could could be an early bounce, but a first weekend that was much better than we expected. So, look, I mean, I think within rank, uh, we we do offer quite niche experiences in bingo and uh, and casino. In bingo, we hold a number two position in the UK. In casinos, we are the number one operator. So we start from a position of strength. We've got these niche experiences, and I think, given that insight around niche experiences, I think customers when they are out of the habit they they miss they miss those experiences um and i think that uh, our venues are uniquely placed to offer that in a way that you know you can't get in pubs or other restaurants which are a bit more ubiquitous so i think we have this this niche experience and i think we we certainly know from the insight research we've done whilst being shut talking to customers that they've been missing that so i think the immediate future for both casinos and bingo rank is good and i think it's going to, it's going to be tough of course you know of course our visit numbers aren't going to be what they were but i think there is that um that desire uh born out of uh, what we offer our customers in these two businesses a desire for customers to come back and we've certainly seen early indications of that in mecca and we we, we feel from uh, the research we've done with our customers in Grosvenor that that will be the case too. Now, clearly, we, we're putting safety and reassurance at the very top of that agenda. We, like many operators, we've shot films and pushed that out through our social media channels to assure customers of the experience, the safe experience they're going to get. Uh, that's, a, that's a prerequisite. But uh, I, I think the, the the experience, the core experience, is something that they've missed. And I think they'll they will come back. It's just a question of uh, in what numbers and over what period of time. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like any business, you know, we've done our modelling on that, and uh, we've got three-year plans and uh, you know, capacity model that um, that sets out our objectives and uh, how we can get through the next uh, three years. Which I think, you know, looking ahead for the future in our business and others across across the sector, you know, I, I think we're going to have a tough first year, but I think there'll be a sort of second year which will be betwixt and between and then a third year where we are getting back to where we were. So I think it will be a a three year journey. Um, But the more I think about, uh, the more I think about it, I'm I'm probably an adherent of the, of the V shaped recovery. I do, I do think 
I do think things could rapidly change when we get a vaccine. And uh, I think what the Chancellor is doing, what he announced yesterday, um, what, he, what he continues to do for the, the hospitality sector specifically, gives us a chance of getting to a point where uh, we've protected as many jobs as possible, where as many of our venues are open and trading and as solvent as possible, um, and when there could be a vaccine. And uh, there, I think, will be the, a pretty rapid recovery for sectors like ours. We've just got to get there, get our teams feeling really safe and reassured so they can make our customers feel reassured too. And we just got to hold on. Um, you know, we, we're a bit at the mercy of the gods. You know, if, there's a, if there is a second lockdown, um, then clearly that's, that's a, a very material issue. I, 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 think, I think it will be a tough year. You know, all, all, the, all the surveys, the YouGov surveys that we've read suggest that 30 to 40% of customers right now still feel uncomfortable. But the longer it goes on, the longer the, uh, the, this horrible disease is under control, the more I think reassured we will all be about coming out. So we just gotta gotta keep going. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Okay, right. Well, I better let you go soon. Um, so I was going to just do a couple of things at the end. So um, we've got, uh, I think I'll mark out of ten. So some quick fire questions. <laughs> uh, best city to eat in? Uh, can I, can I give you a couple? Yeah. So I mean I think I think uh, being a Londoner, born and bred, uh, I'm um, naturally predisposed to favour London. But I genuinely think London, in its scope, in its creativity, in its vitality, is is second to none as a as a sort of major city to eat in. Uh, I really do believe that. But uh, I'll throw I'll throw in I'll throw in San Sebastian in Spain. Oh, yeah. um, uh, which is sensational, and uh, the the the, uh, the Basque equivalent of tapas up there called pinchos is is something that if you haven't tried, you absolutely must. Um, and going from bar to bar to bar, from a mushroom bar to a tomato bar, to a snail's bar, to an anchovy bar, is is one of the, life's great culinary experiences. Um, and uh, my wife's half Spanish. Uh, I wouldn't. Um, won't be able to do this without mentioning Granada, where her family are from. Granada is a brilliant city uh, in in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, which are pretty much snow-capped for the whole year. And in Andalusia, you get tapas free with your beer. And uh, the more beers you have in a certain bar, the better your tapas gets. Okay. And that, that's a wonderful thing to behold. So, uh, so Granada, I would certainly say, because you can – you can ski and then you can go down to to eat and drink in the famous tapas bars of Granada and that is one of life's must-do experiences I think. And what about best restaurant? Uh, I'm an old school old school restaurant I'm afraid but I'll go Shiki's um, in Covent Garden. I think Jay Shiki's is an institution. Um, I took my wife there on a very early date where we both had uh, fantastic fresh prawn avioli and uh, with sensational white wine and just exemplary service. So Shiki's, I, I, I the coming out of the Corbin King kind of world that they that they were in. I'm a big admirer of of of, of them, and uh, Shiki's is a great example, I think, to uh, to the to the restaurant world really of how to do it. Um, 
and then I, I, I've thrown another one in, which is my local curry house in Austerlitz called the Indian Gymkhana. It's an old uh, Indian uh, based sports club in a Punjabi area of, uh, of Austerlitz. And uh, you can go there, get, get a London Pride. Actually, it's a fuller supplied bar and yeah. eat from a very, very authentic Punjabi menu. Um, the chicken tikka masala is like you've never had before. Tandoori lamb chops, sensational. So the Indian Gymkhana at Osli, uh, is well worth a visit if you love Indian food, as I do. Nice. Best dish? Um, what the Spanish would say, migas y sardinas. And uh, this is... This is wonderful. This is, you get migas all over Spain. You get different versions of it. It's essentially, the translation is crumbs and sardines. And the crumbs in the migas, it can be crumbs of uh, bread that's about to go stale. So using up what's in the kitchen. It can be polenta. Um, typically in the more rural areas of Spain, it can be sort of bread. And you go, you go down to the coast and it's this, uh, it's this polenta. And it's, it's, it's cooked in a pan with uh, garlic and olive oil so you get this wonderful flavor coming from the whole piece of the garlic which are bashed in mm. and a bit of olive oil and then uh grilled uh sea salt topped sardines then on top of the of the of the migas and uh it's a uh, it's a tapas down in in the costa tropical region which is due south of granada and uh, so you can have your come off the beach mark with your with your shorts walk into a beach bar have a cold um Granada Alhambra beer, something like that. And uh, alongside it with your tapas is this little plate of, of wonderful garlic aroma, corn, um, polenta with these uh, ultra fresh grilled sardines on top. It's like nothing else. Amazing. And then last question on this one, best drink? London Pride. Is it just that? Of course. <laughs> well, London, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I've grown up with that brand and uh, and have a long association with it. But certainly, uh, you know, going to watch Brentford, um, you know, it's it, it, that, that my whole life is bound up with um, yeah elements of geography, uh, sport, um, memories, and beer, and those all those things come together. I think in a in a Fuller's pub beside a football ground to watch you know, watch your favourite team, and so it's probably more than the beer. It's much more than the beer. Yeah. It's uh, it's got more depth, but it, but the beer itself is uh, is uh, my choice of beer. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, I know you need to go. We had a whole host of Stone Roses questions to ask, but I've got five very quick fire. Go ones. for it. Right, what was the Stone Roses' first single? I want to be adored. Ah, so young. Spoke, tell me, ah. um, which is cost a lot of money to buy these. <laughs> and, why did the Stone Roses not headline Glastonbury in 1995? Well, 1995 was the year of release of Second Coming, five and a half years after the, the most important album ever to be released in yeah. May 1989. Yeah. So I'm going to go with some sort of dispute with Geffen, perhaps. Um, John Squire broken collarbone in a mountain biking accident. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, these are hard ones. Um, yeah, no, I, I should have gone to the depths of Wikipedia before this. I... <laughs> what, was the, what was the name of the Stone Roses before they were called the Stone Roses? They had a number of names. Uh-huh. Um, 
most of them sort of post-punk names yeah. um, and bizarre names as well. And I've read the John Robb book. Yeah, yeah. It's in there for sure. Go on. The patrol. You're going to have to tell me. The Patrol. The patrol. Um, I think maybe Waterfront was a name as well. And yeah, yeah. Um, why are they so obsessed with lemons? Yes, uh, I'm grateful that you asked me that because I'm going to get this one right. I think, <laughs> I think. So one of my favourite songs, Bye Bye Bad Man, is allegedly inspired by uh, John Squire and uh, Ian Brown watching on the telly footage of the student riots uprising in Paris in 1968. Well done. And uh, yeah, there's a, they said they're watching a guy in a really cool coat and desert boots throwing something at the police and that's what inspired them to uh to uh come up with the lyrics for the song but also the lemons of course were were used by demonstrators the rioters to try and offset the effects of tear gas is that the right answer yes it's, it's, it's but bonus a loaded with bonus points all, all <laughs> and, and then last one what is the difference between the uk and the us import version of the original album the stone roses the stone roses? oh come on <laughs> it actually makes it a better album so it's a song there's an extra song on the US version what what could it be oh gosh I was going to say Fool's Gold um Sally Cinnamon Elephant Stone makes it a better album really. it's a great song yep. there you go uh, one out of four or five not very yeah, good. I, I had to dig deep because I thought you know, <laughs> a lot about this stuff. Um, thanks so much for your time today and, and thanks for being a great guest and, and telling us honestly what's going on and you know giving us a, a good look into your, your career so far and, and, and where it might be heading. So yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. So there we go. I hope you agree. A lovely man, a great business mind and just a really personable inspiring leader so great to talk to Jonathan there and also a big thanks to you for listening uh, I know you've been with us for most of the past two series so thanks so much for doing that and anyone that shared it with a friend cajoled someone into downloading it or subscribing or writing us the weekly mails that we get through our Instagram DMs and LinkedIn and all these things just thanks so much for doing that we would not be here without listeners so thank you couple more thank yous. One going out to Engage, who are our headline sponsors for the Supersonic podcast. So thanks to Alex and the team there. If you have any digital needs at all, please do get in touch with them and get on to Alex at Engage and he'll sort you out there based up in Leeds. And then also a huge thanks to BDO, who have been with us since the start as our premium partners. So again, anything you need financially, structuring, strategy, some advice, anything like that, please do get in touch with them. They really like to make businesses grow and make businesses a success and help you do that. So get on to Peter there, Peter Hemington, and he will sort you out. So a huge thanks also to Gaz and Gabby who put this together every week. It really means a lot to me. So thanks for all your hard work every week and hitting those deadlines. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And I hope that it gave you enough value that will really help your brand boom. Bye.